Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is St. Augustine of Hippo, one of the great Western Fathers of the Church. Known as the Doctor of Grace, St. Augustine has left us powerful insights in his works such as On the Trinity and The Confessions, to name only two. He also penned hundreds of homilies, and this week we listen to an excerpt from Homily 132, an excerpt wherein St. Augustine reflects on chapter 6, verses 51 through 58 of the Gospel according to St. John, proclaimed at Mass this Sunday. Employed by St. Augustine in some of his homilies is the act of turning. In the early church, catechumens participated in Mass and sat in a designated part of the church prior to their dismissal after the homily. During the homily, St. Augustine would physically turn and address the catechumens specifically, encouraging them to continue their formation for baptism, confirmation, and the Most Holy Eucharist. We hear this address to the catechumens, as well as other members of the faithful, in today's sermon. And now... An excerpt from St. Augustine's Sermon 132 on the Eucharist. As we heard when the Holy Gospel was being read, the Lord Jesus Christ has encouraged us with the promise of eternal life to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Some of you who heard this already do it, Others, not yet. I mean, those of you who have been baptized and are believers know what he is talking about. But those of you who are still catechumens, or hearers, so-called, could indeed be hearers when it was read, but hardly also understanders, surely. 
so my words are addressed to both sorts. Let those who already eat the flesh of the Lord and drink his blood reflect about what they eat and what they drink, in case, as the Apostle says, they should be eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. Those, on the other hand, who are not yet eating and not yet drinking, should be in a hurry to come to such a feast as this that they have been invited to. During these days, the teachers are feeding you. Christ provides food every day. That's his table there, laid among us in the middle. What can the reason be, my dear hearers, that you can see the table and don't come to the feast? And perhaps, just now, while the gospel was being read, you said to yourselves, Can we guess what he means when he says, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed? How can the Lord's flesh be eaten, and the Lord's flesh be drunk? I can't imagine what he means. Well, who closed the door to stop you knowing the answer? It's veiled in secrecy. But if you like, it will be unveiled. Come to the point of professing the faith, and you will have solved the problem. The faithful, you see, already know what the Lord meant by his words. You, though, are called a catechumen. You are called a hearer, and yet you're deaf. Because while indeed the ears on your head are open and you can hear what was said, you still have the ears of your heart shut tight. And so you do not understand what was said. I'm just stating the case, not giving any explanations. Look, it's Easter time. Put your name down for baptism. If the festival doesn't get you excited, at least let curiosity lead you on so that you may learn what is meant by whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In order to learn with me what it meant, knock and the door will be open for you. And just as I am telling you, Knock, and the door will be open for you. So I am knocking. Open the door for me. I'm shouting in your ears, but I'm knocking at your heart. But if the catechumens, my dear brothers and sisters, need to be encouraged not to delay coming to this wonderful grace of being born again, what great pains... I should be taking over the instruction of the faithful, so that coming to be born again may really benefit the catechumens, and they may avoid eating and drinking at this wonderful feast to their own condemnation. Now, 
in order not to eat and drink to their condemnation, they must live good lives. It's for you to encourage them in this, not by words, but by your behavior. Those who haven't yet been baptized should be in a hurry to follow you in such a way that they don't perish by imitating you. Those of you who are married, keep yourselves faithful to your wives. Pay them what you require of them. Husband, you require your wife to be chaste? Give her an example of how to be so, not just a lecture. You're the head. Notice the way you are going. The way you should be going, after all, is one on which it won't be dangerous for her to follow you. What I mean is, you yourself should travel the road on which you want her to follow. You are demanding self-discipline. You both have the promptings of the flesh to deal with. Let the one who is the stronger be the first to overcome them. And yet, the sad fact is that many husbands are overcome in this matter by their wives. Wives preserve their chastity while husbands are not prepared to do so. And the very fact of not doing so, they like to have the reputation of being real men, as though what it makes it stronger sex is that it is so much more easily conquered by the enemy. It's a struggle. It's a battle. There's fighting to be done. The man is stronger braver than the woman, the man is the head of the woman. The woman fights and wins, and you just give in to the enemy? The body stands up to him, and does the head keel over? As for those of you who haven't got wives, and yet already approach the Lord's table, and eat the flesh of Christ, and drink his blood, if you intend to marry wives, keep yourselves for your wives, as you want them to come to you, so they in turn should be able to find you. What young man is there who doesn't want the wife he marries to be chaste? And if he's engaged to a virgin, can you imagine him not wanting her undefiled? You are looking for an undefiled wife. Be undefiled yourselves. You want her to be pure. Don't be impure yourself. I mean, it's just not the case that she can manage it and you can't. If it couldn't be done, she couldn't manage it either. But because in fact she can... Let her teach you that it can be done. She too, in order to manage, has to be governed by God. But you, if you manage to do it, 
you will have all the more to boast about. Why all the more to boast about? Because she is under the pressure of parental custody. Held in check by the bashfulness of the weaker sex. Finally, she has laws to be afraid of, which you don't. That's why you have more to boast about if you manage it. Because if you manage it, it will be because you fear God. She has many things to fear besides God. All you have to fear is God. But the one you fear is greater than all the others. He is to be feared in public. He is to be feared in private. You go out, he sees you. You come in, he sees you. The lamps lit, he sees you. The lamps put out, he sees you. You go into your bedroom, he sees you. You turn things over in your mind, he sees you. Fear him, him whose whole concern is to see you, and at least out of fear, be chaste. Or else, if you want to sin, of course, find somewhere he can't see you, and then do what you like. As for those of you who have taken vows, chastise the body more strictly. And don't let the curb on lust be relaxed, even for permissible things, which means it's not just a matter of avoiding unlawful copulation, but of refraining even from lawful looks and sights. Remember that whichever sex you belong to, whether male or female, you are leading the life of angels on earth. Angels, you see, don't get married or take wives. That's what we shall all be like when we have risen from the dead. How much better you people are then, who already begin to be before death what everyone will be after the resurrection. Preserve and respect your different grades because God is keeping for you your respective honors. The resurrection of the dead has been compared to the stars in the sky, for stars differ from star in glory, as the apostle says. So too the resurrection of the dead. There will be one splendor there for virginity, another for married chastity, another for holy widowhood. They will be variously bright, but they will all be there, their brightness unequal, the sky they all have in common. So then, bearing in mind your various grades, and being faithful to your various commitments, approach the flesh of the Lord, approach the blood of the Lord. And of you who know yourselves to be otherwise, don't approach. Let your consciences rather be pricked by my words, 
You may be thankful, those of you who know that they are keeping for their wives what they require from their wives. Those of you who know that they are keeping total continence, if this is what they have vowed before God. Those of you who hear me saying, any of you who do not keep chaste must not approach to partake of the bread, may be well saddened by this. And I myself would much rather not say this. But what am I to do? Should I hush up the truth because I am afraid of other people? So if these servants do not fear their Lord, am I not to fear him either? As though I didn't know he had said, You wicked and lazy servant, you should have given so that I could collect. Well, look, I have given, O Lord my God. Here I am, in the sight of you and your angels, and in the sight of this people of yours. I have invested your money, because I am terrified of your judgment. I have given. It is for you to collect. Even if I don't say this, you are going to do it. So this is what I prefer to say. I have given. It is for you to convert, for you to spare. Make those people chaste who have been unchaste, so that they may all rejoice together in your presence when the time comes for judgment, both I who have invested your money and the one in whom I have invested it. Do you all approve of that? Let it be approved, then. Any of you who are unchaste, mend your ways while you are still living. I, after all, can speak from the word of God. But to deliver the unchaste who persist in their wickedness from the judgment and condemnation of God, that is something I cannot do. St. Augustine of Hippo, pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who in this wonderful sacrament have left us a memorial of your passion, grant us, we pray, so as to revere the sacred mysteries of your body and blood, that we may always experience in ourselves the fruits of your redemption, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. <laughs>